minister through him today? Will you minister to him in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Thanks, Phil. Morning, everyone. <clears throat> it's, it's, good, it's good to be together uh, this morning. Uh, and I, I love the worship. Um, Sarah, thank you for the old songs this morning. Um, it, was, it was beautiful being able to worship together, but I feel that there's something quite prophetic even on the worship songs this morning. And as Phil has led us around the communion, even what we're going to be looking at this morning, around what it means for us to have an uncheckable confidence in, in the gospel. But there's something specific about the, the things that we say the things that we declare, the things that we speak to our children, the things that we speak to others. And you know, we've been on this, we're starting on this mini-series, we don't have a graphic for it because it was kind of like a last minute to the past sort of thought. This is leading us into where we're going to go in the summer. We'll, we'll let you know about that, fill you in in the next couple of weeks, what our thoughts and hopes are on that. Um, but this, this is bringing us to there. But we're looking at um, this idea of the greatest story. Guys, is my uh, computer on the screen okay? And the, the greatest story um, that has ever been told, the story which we are sharing and living out together. And we are hoping this is that, yes, there's going to be uh, an, an evangelistic thrust and a message with this. So for anybody in the room who has never accepted Jesus, it is our hope that actually in the, in the hearing of it and in the sharing of it each of the weeks, that this would be a something for you to receive. But also for all of us as believers, we actually would hope that actually that there's something of a refreshing of ourselves in this. There's something of the life and the joy of the gospel that is just renewed and restored within us week upon week upon week as we remind ourselves of the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he means for us. And the five sessions that we're going through in this, Phil obviously began last week by looking at the power of the gospel. And the question that Phil asked last week was simply this, do you believe the gospel? Do you believe it still has the power that it, that it once had and Phil looked last week about how you know it, it seems to be that even within culture where years gone by where people would have come like the tent missions and things where culture seemed to be at a closer edge to the church and to, to God, where people were maybe at a place where they knew more about God, they had an understanding of God and when they came to those moments when the gospel was presented, they were close to a decision for Jesus. But it seems to be that as culture and society has almost gravitated away from things of faith and things to do with God, that, uh, that it's at a different point with them. And I would probably reflect on that actually, even in our own lives, uh, for, for all of us as the church, as, as believers. You know, what can so often happen, and we're, we're seeing it and sensing it even at the moment, that within people's lives, there can almost grow a, a coldness. There can grow a moment just where for some people they're, they can almost get to a place where they're dissatisfied with their understanding of the gospel. It almost feels like the gospel still doesn't have, hold the same stature in our minds. There was a point where we, we gladly accepted it, but as, as time has gone on, there has almost been a, a drifting in our minds. God's been reduced or relegated, perhaps, in our priorities. And, and a large part I want to say just into this is really important, and this is why I feel that it's significant even about where we've been gathering in worship, that there's so much about what we portray about the message of God to other people, yes, to our families, to our children, to our friends, that there's something about the significance and the responsibility that we all need to own with this together. In our lives, we are living out Jesus Christ together in our lives. His presence is within us. We are embodying him and his spirit in our lives. This is what it means to be a believer. And yet I love this quote by Brandon Manning. I've said it once or twice over the years. 
But he says this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. It's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. It's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable when there's things that we can say with our mouths, but yet actually the way that we live our lives and our personas and everything about us just doesn't embody the words that we say. And yet, where we want to come this morning with this is that actually when we present the gospel or we share the gospel and we embody it in such a way that actually it is believable, that there's something within us that can result in this, an unshakable confidence in the gospel. And this morning, I'm just going to briefly in two or three different ways, and then Sarah and the guys are going to come up, we're going to sing, we're going to worship, we're going to prophetically declare this afresh this morning again. But in two or three different ways, I just want to just look about this unshakable confidence in the gospel. And so for everyone in the room that's gathered here, for everyone watching at home, whether right now or at a later point, first thing, just very simply and very obviously, but yet which we must never lose sight of is this. There is an unshakable confidence in the gospel to save. There's an unshakable confidence in the gospel we can have to save. The gospel message is simply this. We were, we were all born with a purpose. Your life has meaning. Your life has a purpose. We were all created to be in relationship with God. We were all created to be in, in, in relationship with him. He has good plans and purposes for his creation. And yet Paul is really clear about this and and this is significant for all of us to not ever navigate or gravitate away from the truth of this. Paul says this to the church in Rome. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. You see, what so easily happens is the Bible tells us this to speak the truth in love. But how often the gospel message has been proclaimed and how it has been shared and therefore how it has been received. It's that because it's been almost delivered with a pointed finger. It almost makes people feel that it is a belittling or putting down to say we're better than you and there's something that you need to get something of the thing that is better about us because there's something that is, that you're just, you're, there's, obviously there's something lacking in the thing of Jesus with them, but it almost becomes a personal thing the way and in, in the, in the position of anger and the different ways that it has been demonstrated. But yet Paul is really clear in this. Everyone has sinned. Everyone it's fallen short of the standard and the glories of God. And in this moment and in this way, this is where the message is presented. And so for everyone in the room, whether you've ever received this or not, this is for all of us. This is the leveler for all of us. We are all in need of a savior. Because of the sin that is marked upon every person, we see this in the book of Genesis when sin came into the world. And from that point, we are all born with the stain of sin upon us. And yet from that point in Genesis 3, 15, there was a promise of another one who was going to come, a rescuer, a Messiah who would restore all people onto the purposes and plans of God that he had originally ordained and attended for us in our lives. This is what salvation is about, but yet the truth is many people just simply do not believe that message. And again, perhaps for anyone watching at home or for anyone in the room this morning who's never accepted it, maybe you just, you just almost feel it without, there's just something about it you just, you just don't buy. You just don't get. 
Again, because of what you've seen in the life of other believers and how it's been presented, there's something about it you just don't buy. And you know what? Even this morning and over these number of weeks as we talk and we present something of the gospel and a, and tr- and a bit of a challenge for us as the church, the last thing that we're almost having expectation is that there's something, if we can articulate it in a, in a better way, that then you'll get it, that we can almost twist or convince you about this. But we recognize this, that this is something that is a deep work of the Spirit. Holy Spirit is crucial in this. Jesus actually tells us this in John 16. But when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. But when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. And so here's one of the things I want to say. I'm going to share just for a few minutes something of a gospel invitation. And here's what can so easily happen, because I've been there, and sometimes I still do it. For any believers in the room and saying, well, I've heard that before, I've got it, I understand it, and so we switch off. We think we understand everything about it. And yet one of the prayers I would love us to pray, and for anyone who's listening this morning here or online, and if you've never accepted Jesus before, listen, we're going to be leaving space for just throwing out an invitation at the end. But you know, the beginning point that I would love for you and my challenge for you this morning for all of us is that simply this would be our prayer this morning that we read in the Psalms. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. This is the prayer of invitation. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I would love for all of us this morning that this would be our prayer. God, would you open my eyes afresh? God, help me never to get to the point where I think I know it all. God, would you open my eyes afresh? And Spirit, would you lead us this morning and speak what this is about? You know, when it comes to the idea of an unshakable confidence this morning, I'm going to reflect a little bit about confidence in our lives. Many people almost feel that when it comes to this position of being right before God, they feel already full of confidence in themselves. They feel like they're already good enough as they reflect on their own life. They deem themselves a pretty good person. And yet, a couple of verses, that we all, if we've read the Bible, we know these so well. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that anyone can boast about it. Imagine this. No one can boast in their own confidence. And yet, the thing that we can boast in is what we celebrated this morning is in the saving power of Jesus that it's all about him, saved simply through faith. And all I want to simply do this morning, if you've been through Grow, you'll have heard this, I think a few years ago when we reflected on, we taught on holiness, I referenced this as well, but it's a parable that Jesus teaches, and it's just allowing us to see and understand, in essence, what it truly means to be saved. Jesus taught stories when he was here on earth called parables, and in the parables, they were earthly stories with heavenly meanings. And in this parable, Jesus is teaching because he's being challenged and asked about what it means in terms of to be saved or what it means to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus tells this story. He tells a story about a king who's sending invitations, an invitation to a wedding banquet and how people are invited to be able to come. And as the invitations start to go out, many people are refusing and they say, actually, we don't really need that. That's not for us. And in Matthew 22, this story goes on. This is where we pick up in verse 8, and it simply says this. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready. And the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. 
and the banquet hall was filled with guests. And the first thing we see with this is that this has got nothing to do with the confidence and the fact that we might feel that we are good enough. One of the things even this morning for many people is where they almost position themselves away from the fact that they could potentially saved by God is because they almost reflect on their life and they feel that there's, as they look back at many of the failures and the disappointments and things that have happened in their lives, they think that perhaps they could never be good enough. And yet the invitation that goes out afresh this morning to everyone is that this is for all people whether it's a good or bad alike, the invitation is going out. And Jesus goes on to say that actually while the invitation that goes out, the next part is really crucial. And what we read is simply this. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you're here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. We have a lot of weddings coming up over the next while in church. And I know some people in the church, some, uh, some ladies in the church who have bought outfits for, for the new weddings that are coming up. I know some men in the church who have bought some new fancy suits for the weddings that are coming up as well. In my background coming up, uh, what I grew up in, it was all about the big hats that ladies would have got for the weddings as well, the really fancy ones. And yet in Jesus' culture with this, and I know we've, we've spoken this before, but let me just remind ourselves about this. In Jesus' culture, the, the understanding about weddings is that when people went to weddings, there was a wedding attire that everyone would have worn. That would have been pretty nice, wouldn't it? No one's comparing who's got the nicest dress or who's got the nicest shirt and tie or who's got the nicest suit. Everyone wore the same attire. People would have known what to wear. And some of the cultural narratives and some of the cultural understanding of the day, some people would reckon that actually it was the host's responsibility to provide wedding garments for people to wear. And so when people came, the servants would have provided the garments and people would have taken them and dressed themselves in them. And what happened at this wedding is that someone came along and they actually felt that actually what they had to wear was all right, they didn't need this. And the most important thing about being here, and we see actually the king's position in this, because they weren't wearing the wedding clothes, they weren't able to remain, they were cast out. And the prophet Isaiah speaks prophetically into this. This is what it means to be saved in Isaiah 61. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and has wrapped me in a robe of righteousness, this beautiful understanding that the moment we accept this invitation of grace by faith, our sins are removed and taken from us, this thing that has stopped us from relationship with God, and in place we get Christ's righteousness upon us. This is what allows God the Father to look at us and to say that we are restored to relationship, not because of anything to do with us or our own ability or anything about us, but this is the point that we must never forget. And this is the beautiful point that allows us to have an unshakable confidence. If this morning you have never accepted Jesus and you never felt worthy enough, you need to know it's not about whether you're worthy enough. It's all to do about his worthiness. He is worthy of it all. He is the one that is full of righteousness and holiness. And when his righteousness comes upon us, the Father looks at us and deems us, you are my son, you are my daughter, you are restored to relationship, not because of us so that we can boast about it, but because of his righteousness that is dressed upon us. So the beautiful thing that gives us confidence is that at the beginning, it's not to do with us, only the fact that we accept his grace and we accept his goodness, but it's only ever to do with Jesus. <laughs> and his righteousness, and all about it. That's why the Bible tells us he alone is the one that is worthy. He alone is the one that is holy. 
He alone is the one that is good. It's all and only ever to do it by Jesus. This is the beginning point. If you're in the room, this is what we need to remind ourselves. Every time I teach this and grow, I come home feeling alive because this is the good news of the gospel. It's all to do with Jesus. It's all to do with him. And this morning, if you've never received him, you can receive him. Friends, we're going to be at the end. These are the numbers. We have some staff and elders that are going to be answering this. If you would love someone to talk with and pray with, we would love you to ring one of these numbers. We'll put them up at the end again so that you can engage with this. But there's something about the unshakable confidence that we can have to be saved, not because it's anything that's deemed about us, but all about Jesus and his invitation. We simply just need to receive it as a gift of salvation. Isn't it amazing that it's all about him? And yet, what we need to remind ourselves is that there's an unshakable confidence that we can have not just to be saved, but an unshakable confidence in the gospel to sustain us, what it means to go on in our lives, to have a confidence that actually this can shape and direct our lives. We, um, Laura had referenced uh, a radio program that was on during the week and Today FM, and there was, a, there was a, an interview with, with a scientist a professor who had written an article all about confidence and about how confidence plays out in, in the human life. And I, I'm not here to give you a whole scientific reasoning about confidence, maybe just a little bit, but how it plays out even in terms of our faith. And a couple of things that he had mentioned was actually quite striking. You know, he was talking about how with confidence it's the thing that distinguishes us and sets us apart from the rest of creation. It's something that can give us a bit of status. It's something that can almost act like an antidepressant in our lives, but it's such a vital and precious resource. We did, he did reflect on the fact that as we look around, confidence is something that almost feels like it's unevenly spread. He was saying that it, perhaps it could be just different factors. Could be something with genetics, but yet there's so many different things around us that can shape or direct our confidence. He did say this, however, that when we have this idea of confidence built within us, built around us, that there's something about a sense of control that we have in our lives. And yet one of the things that I reflect on even in this past year, and this is where today for all of us, I feel that it's really important for us to reflect almost in our lives, what is our confidence rooted and built upon in our lives currently? In this past year, much of what has been, uh, for many people, their confidence has been built and rooted upon. Many of the things in our lives, when we look at things like people, possessions, jobs, health, many of those things that our confidence would have been placed or firmed upon us, almost it feels like that it has dissipated. It's a time when nothing feels certain and so much is unknown. And this is where the Bible's really clear. How are we building our lives and what are we building upon? What are the things that we are holding firm in the framework of this is what I'm journeying forward into? And when we talk about faith and the confidence that we have in this, one of the things that I feel that it is crucial for us is how we are framing our understanding. I'm going to be reflecting on this at the end, but the reality is for us as we reflect on the fact that it was all about Jesus at the start, the narrative that sometimes goes around in our heads then is that as we journey and we grow as Christians, when it comes to this place of failure, times when maybe we, we slip or we trip, we fall. Those moments when we start to question, are we actually able to keep going forward? There's something that we need to be clear in terms of how we are rooted in those times. 
in our lives, then daily, and this is where I feel the word even around communion is quite prophetic in terms of the speaking and the declaring. A story that this guy told just really caught me. So in case you've started to, to drift off, there's, there's lots of people love sports, lots of people love golf, right? And he told a story about an Irish golfer, Podrick Harrington. Um, many people love golf. Many people will have watched him over the years. And in 2007, Podrick Harrington was playing in the British Open. Apparently, he was having an absolute amazing tournament, getting quite close to winning it. He was way out in front, and there was two holes left to go, so he's, he's getting to the 17th hole. And I'm sure at that point, because he almost felt like in his head, he might have thought he had an unassailable lead. He all had a bit of confidence. He's probably starting to think through the winner's speech and all those side of things, what it could potentially be like. And when he gets to the 17th hole, these are the last two holes. The 17th hole, his first two shots, he hits into the water. He hits his first two shots into the water. And suddenly, everything starts to fall apart. Do you remember Roy McElroy back in the Masters as well? Almost felt like it was unassailable lead. And suddenly, everything falls apart. And yet, his story was slightly different. Because what happened... And I thought that this was crucial. I know Laura and I chatted about this during the week. His caddy, Ronan Flood, as they walked up the fairway on the 17th, his caddy walked beside him and started to just speak this line over and over and over again in a low voice so only Padraig Harton could hear it. He started to say, you're the best chipper and the best putter in the world. You're the best chipper and the best putter in the world. (laughs) You're the best chipper and the best putter in the world. He kept saying this over and over and over again. And apparently, like, this was some of the best. I'm not really good at golf, right? So I can't really speak with authority on this. But apparently, it was some of the best chipping and some of the best putting that he'd ever done. He ended up getting into playoff, ended up winning the tournament. And as he reflected on it, it was the significance because his caddy wasn't actually saying something that was to try and butter him up or to almost give him a false sense of confidence. He started to speak truth into the situation that was crucial for the moment that he was in. And this is where I feel for us in our lives, for us as we live a life as a believer, to have an unshakable confidence in the gospel more than ever. We need to be a people. We need to be the church. We need to be the followers of Jesus that hold fast to truth while there's so much around us that is changing, while there's so much around us that perhaps is crashing. And Phil even references me even in your own life with lots of different ways, not even to do with the likes of COVID or things like that, just lots of personal situations where the things that you would have built your confidence that we're sure, that we're almost steadfast, that it seems to just be drifting away. At these moments, these are the times that we need to hold fast to truth. Jesus says these words, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And listen to the words when we talk about the the steadfastness and the confidence that we have in our salvation. I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know where you're at in your walk with God. And there might be moments when you're starting to doubt even the fact of, are you a Christian? Does God still love you? Listen to the words. So the prophet Isaiah that spoke that prophetic word about what it was to be dressed in God's righteousness, about what it was to be saved. The prophet Isaiah also speaks these words in in Isaiah chapter 51. And he says this, lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth below for the heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment and its people will die like gnats. But listen to this, but my salvation will last forever and my righteousness will never fail. 
Listen to these words. My salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. The very thing that we're saying is the very reason why we're saved in the first place. <laughs> Nothing about ourselves that we can boast in, but the fact that we are dressed in Jesus' righteousness. Listen to the promise of the word of God, and this is what we need to hold fast to. My salvation will never last, and my righteousness will never fail. As the Father looks at us and sees the righteousness of His Son upon us, it will never fail. This is where we can have a steadfast hope and confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, nothing to do with us. And yes, it should result and produce a difference and a change in our life. But yet at these moments, this is where we need to recognize, while it was all about Him at the start, about what it is to be saved, it's still about Him on the journey. It's not as if suddenly it was all about Jesus at the beginning and then my confidence is all about me and what I'm doing. My confidence is still in him alone because the thing that sustains us in the Christian walk is the fact that his salvation will last forever and his righteousness that meant that I was accepted in front of the Father in the first place, his righteousness will never fail. His righteousness will never grow old. This is the good news of the gospel. And this is why the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us this. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And with this, this is where the story of Patrick Harrington feels significant. In the words that we declare, in the letters that, that Phil and Alan's mom wrote to the children, there's some things about the words that we pass on and the things that we declare and the things that we want to leave for people to believe. And as the church, firstly, I want to say this for us, it's important that we actually are those that speak and declare words of truth over our own lives. Because one of the things, when many things change, the thing that never changes is this, our identity. When we are accepted into the family of God forever, we are sons and daughters of God. We are sons and daughters of the King. <laughs> We are sons and daughters of the Father. We are His forever. This is good news, isn't it? We are sons and daughters of God. And with this, this is the thing that we need to be declaring over our lives. Times when we step into difficult moments, the difficult moments that you might be going through, the times when you're questioning how you're getting through this, the truth that you need to speak into this is that I am a son of the King. I am a daughter of the King. This is the thing that starts to produce and result in a confidence in us. Even when all around us seems to fail, this is where we can hold on to a certain hope because of who we are, our identity. We are sons and daughters of God. These things aren't the things that dictate our identity. God and God alone does that. We are sons and daughters of the King. And with that as well, it's not just for us. It's how we speak that over other people. Are there people around you at the moment? that you just see starting to really struggle. Even with your kids, your friends, people in life groups, people in church you know, and there's a struggle in their faith. It's almost like we're the caddy with Padraig Harrington as he walked up the fairway. We need people to walk alongside people in the fairways and say, you're a son of God. You're a daughter of the King. God loves you. God has great plans for you. God's joy is in you. His joy is made complete in you. Your strength can be found in him. We need people that can speak and declare truth. When people are struggling to hear it and people are struggling to believe it, we need to be those that speak the truth. But this is where the gospel becomes unshakable and that's where the final point, sir, maybe you and the guys come up, could you? 
This is where we need an unshakable confidence in the gospel to share. To share Jesus with people. The guy said in the interview, he said, you know, confidence is contagious. And I, I, I believe that. My life got turned around. I'm not going to go into the full story. My life got turned around when, remember my story in Cuba? When I actually said, I'd heard people talk about the love of God and the joy of God and the goodness of God. And I saw people who in an earthly setting had absolutely nothing that they could have confidence in, but yet their confidence in God was contagious. <laughs> they were just so full of joy. I, like, I could not get my head around this. <laughs> I couldn't understand it, but I knew I wanted it. And this is where Paul would say this as well. For we are, God, we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. There's an aroma that comes off us. Confidence is contagious. Not confidence in ourselves, but confidence in God. And guys, this is the message of the gospel. This is what we present this morning. There's a hope for all of us. There's a hope to sustain us even at these moments, but the way that we get through and sustain this is by declaring and speaking truth over ourselves and over other people. This is our song of freedom. We are sons and daughters of God. What have asked uh, Sarah just to sing here just for these last couple of minutes, and then we're going to pray together just as we finish. I just would love us to prophetically stand and declare this again. If this is a song we leave with today, singing over our lives, we're no longer slaves to fear. I am a child of God. And today I would love, could you stand with me? I would love just for us to stand and declare this together. This is what our unshakable hope is in. It's nothing in us that we could boast about it, but in the goodness of him. And so let's, could we just with joy just sing and declare this this morning? So God, this is 